This is The Sidebar by the New York Association of Black Journalists. In this episode, we look back at June's self-care panel, a necessary discussion on how to check in with yourself while handling the stresses of the news cycle. So welcome everyone to our NYABJ June panel. We are talking about self-care. This is all about, we've all been working on these really stressful stories. We've been working on deadlines. Some of us have been working with the breaking news that's been going on or just in social media, just seeing it. There's been a lot of secondhand stress that's kind of been flowing around us just from friends and family and everyone else. So um, we are going to talk about that. I am going to go over our intros. We have some fabulous people um, on our panel today. So I'll get started with um, Dr. Adair is an international best-selling author. She's a speaker and educator, the founder of the Empowerment House. She specializes in helping women and teens to build their confidence levels, um, to be equipped to pursue their passion um, and their purpose, to get over it. She offers programs to motivate, inspire, and empower. We have Brittany Lae, I hope I got it, um, is a video producer for In The Know. Um, where she researches, reports, and produces original social videos um, on a variety of content. Sometimes she works under really tight deadlines. Um, she earned her bachelor's in broadcast journalism and business marketing with a digital marketing emphasis from the University of Georgia. We have Dr. Sean Fletcher. Um, he is an assistant professor of public relations and, um, and sports communications at San Jose State University, as well as the principal consultant for Sean J. Fletcher Diversity Training. Um, Sean has communication experience with private and public organizations, um, and he's also um, served as the board of chair for diversity and inclusion for Public Relations Society of America. Uh, we have Theani Page, a social media strategist, influencer, beauty queen, and a socialite hailing from Atlanta, Georgia. She got her start by competing in competitions such as the Miss District of Columbia, Miss Georgia, and other local competitions, um, and she has a really unique background. Um, and with her unique background, she used that to help um, so social smarts and entrepreneurs um, in building their digital marketing um, brand. She works with a lot of luxury social media. She gives a luxury social media experience. We have Najama Smalls. Um, she's a writer, emotional coach, and speaker. She has written for local, national, and global publications and spoken on numerous platforms on the topic of healing emotional wounds and emotional intelligence, self-love, and destroying generational patterns. So Dr. Ear, we'll, we'll just let you get the conversation started. Um, as journalists and media professionals, we have all been working on a ton of really stressful, triggering stories. What's the best way for us to deal with the secondhand trauma? Like it's not our trauma, but we're the ones dealing with it. We're hearing these stories, reporting these stories. Friends are telling us about these stories. What should we do to skip through the day? So thank you for having me, first of all. And I wrote down some notes so I can stay on track and on task. Um, but one of the first things you want to do is make sure you understand what secondary trauma is, because there are different types of trauma and being able to identify it is step number one. So when we're talking about trauma, very often we will use terms interchangeably, but there are differences between it. So for example, when we talk about vicarious trauma, that is changing, that is where our whole mindset shifts and change as a result of indirectly working with people over time, you know, that have dealt with trauma. So we change how we feel about um, about how we view the world. Our whole worldview changes based on just being exposed to people or person um, in the aftermath of the trauma. So that's vicarious. When you talk about secondary trauma, that is really like the result of someone, um, the, the result of the exposure of the details of someone who has um, someone else's trauma, like you feel um, connected to them and you kind of make it your own, even though it's not your own. And what happens after that, as a result of that, we may get what's called compassion fatigue. And that is where you just get tired, you know, of helping um, those who have been traumatized. So being able to identify whether it's vicarious or secondary is really important because vicarious really a whole mindset shift, the whole mindset sh change, whereas secondary is just your response to someone else's trauma. 
So we, so now when we want to talk about how do how do we deal with it? What do we do? There are different ways. There's professional ways, and there's organizational ways, and there are personal ways. So the ideas that I have that I think kind of work because the work that I do really focus on moving people towards positive changes in their lives, regardless of what they have gone through, whether it's a secondary trauma or whether you're you know the person who's been traumatized. But really, the basics, the exercise, we know that all that physiological stuff makes a difference. I can't quote on those endorphins, morphins, whatever they call them, all that makes a difference. Um, really trying to rest. And I know that sounds crazy because when we're in the mist and we're trying to, when it's sink or swim and we're trying to swim, like how do you rest during that? But we have to figure out, you know, how to give our mind a rest because when our brain is going and going and going and going, that weighs us down and slows us down a lot, a lot more than the physical part. Um, I'm going to say for me as a writer, journaling is key, whether it's written or using your phone audio, getting those thoughts out of your mind, because say if you're at work and you're experiencing, you know, you know, the signs, you know, you're getting irritated, um, you have lingering feelings of anger, you become more overly involved, you know, emotionally, and you're feeling that at work, you may not have the time to sit at your computer and type out stuff. And if you're, if you're a writer too, that's, you may not want to sit there, grab your phone, record how you feel and ask yourself those questions, but you have to get it out. So journaling, whether it's written or audio is really important. If you want to do something more professional, organized, I should say more organized, there are support groups that you can join depending on how you're feeling and what your, you know, what your niche is, support groups, feeling um, a network of people with like-minded people, people who are going through, who have gone through what, who understand, who get it, that you don't have to explain everything to. That can be helpful as well. Uh, social support. Even when we talk about support groups, we're not just talking about physically, we're in the age of social media, getting into healthy groups, social media groups with like-minded individuals can be huge in your mindset because you can meet someone on the other side of the world and they can have the same story that you have. So really connecting with others. And then, you know, just committing yourself um, to the positive things in your life. Sometimes when we get caught up in all the negativity happening to us or feeling bad, we forget about the blessings and the great things that are happening in our lives. But identifying those, even if it's one good thing a day, identifying what that good thing is that day so that when you do feel that slump, you do feel like, oh my God, not another, right now we're in the middle of these mass shootings. So it's not like, oh my God, not another mass shooting. We're going to feel it anyway. Right away, that feeling that I have them at that moment can make me feel good. So there's a litany, there are a litany of things that we can go on with, but those were the few that I thought that I wanted to share with you because they seem to be very important, very pertinent, and very relevant. So I hope I've answered your question. Absolutely. You were great. Thank you. Those are some helpful tips. I need to write some of those down, but I, I did not, but we're recording this so that way we can hear it all again. Um, so Najama, I, I feel like I'm chopping that up. I'm trying though. Um, it's Najma, but it's okay. Najma. Najma. Okay. Um, you write a newsletter called the Black Girl's Guide to Healing Emotional Wounds. What are some tips you give to your readers about healing some of those emotional wounds? Sure. One of the first tips, and let me start off also by saying thank you for this wonderful panel that you've uh, put together. I'm so honored and humbled to be accompanied by so many great professionals here on this panel. But um, one of the main tips I give for healing emotional wounds is being able to really understand how we are wired emotionally. And, and a big part of that is understanding our triggers, right? And I know triggers is a word, it's very cliche. Now we hear it all the time, but it's a very real thing, right? So anytime something external causes an internal reaction from us. That means we've been triggered, okay? And so we need to lean into those triggers and understand what's causing us to be triggered and why we're being triggered because those triggers are pointing us to hurts. They're pointing us to unhealed emotional wounds. So once we kind of lean into those triggers and find out what's, you know, what's, what's causing us to be triggered and how we react, when we're triggered, then we can begin doing the work um, to, to heal some of those emotional wounds. And I want to say to all of you all, you know, professionals in the industry and so on, um, in media and journalism, I know a lot of things, you cover a lot of stories out there, 
specifically for us in the Black community. And you have to understand some of these stories that are uh, about what's going on within the Black community when we see violence against us in the, in the Black community, they're going to trigger us, right? They're going to impact us in a way that they may not impact our brothers and sisters in other communities, okay? So we have to understand that and we have to be very aware of that as we're going in and covering the news and so on so to understand that you know, we have a history here. We have a history with these with these stories. There is attachment there. So there's emotion there and it's going to impact us. And so understanding that, you know, when you hear of another Tamir Rice, when you hear of another Trayvon Martin, God forbid, it's going to hit you differently than it's going to hit one of our counterparts. So you really have to be aware of that and prepare yourself for that. And as uh, uh, Dr. Adair said, you know, taking some time away, taking some time, taking some de deep breaths, really leaning into self-care, journaling. If you have, you know, taking a day off, I know we're up against tight deadlines and so on. Having a therapist or a coach that you can call, that you can make an appointment with, that is definitely key um, because we really need to understand um, heal those wounds and understand how these things, these situations and so on are impacting us. I do have on my website, a trigger mapping exercise that helps you go through your triggers and understand what's causing you to react. And you can look and see what your patterns are and how you are reacting and just helping you to understand more so how you are showing up in this world. Um, and that's on my website at the black girls guide to healing emotional wounds.com. Love that. And make sure you put that in our chat too, so everyone can get to it. Um, so Dr. Fletcher, studies show minorities, Black men especially, are less likely to seek mental health therapy, self-care, that sort of thing. What advice can you give to them? Or what are some signs um, that both men and women should kind of feel within themselves or see within themselves that should, you know, be that, that like little nugget, like, oh, maybe it's mm -hmm. time for me to, to talk to somebody. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and again, I'll, I'll echo what my, my peers said. I, I appreciate you even having this discussion. It's, it's, it's relevant. It's always timely, um, probably now more so than in recent memory, quite honestly, uh, short of, of 2020. Um, there are a couple of different ways to approach it, and we could probably spend 90 minutes talking about why uh, we don't seek them out uh, as opposed to what. Um, the, the why is interesting, and I, I encourage each of you all as well to, even, even though we will touch on it and, and um, it's been touched on a little bit up until now, kind of the why, barriers to access, um, some of the socioeconomic issues, stigmas that we still perpetuate around it, those are still very prevalent in our community. Um, African Americans are still 20% more likely to suffer from significant, serious mental health challenges than the general population, yet only one in three of us who need care get care. And the data supports it. So the why is, is still important and barriers to it are important as well. But in terms of, of signs, I, I, I took a mental health first aid course. And all of this, I preface it, is so much easier said than done. That's why conversations like these and repetition of having these conversations are, are so important, but they, they talked about four different areas outside of just doing inventory of yourself. There's no substitute for inventory, constantly monitoring yourself to understand where you are, how you're feeling, because no one on the outside knows. We just see. And they talked about behavior, appearance, feelings, and thoughts. Those are the, the four areas in terms of, of signs that were, were really uh, talked about. In terms of behavior, um, we understand and we, we notice patterns, especially those of us who are really trying to, to navigate this, this very complicated world. I spent over a decade in corporate America. There's a reason I left. And, and much of it was due to mental health and the, the lack of ability to balance the demands versus who I inherently knew myself to be and what gave me fulfillment. 
All right. So I started noticing many of these signs in, in, in myself. So I started noticing I just lost a lot. I used to just cancel meetings. I used to cancel commitments. During 2020, I would just cancel Zoom meetings. I got Zoom fatigue. And I started to notice those patterns. So behavior was one of them. Then, and, and I, I'm kind of the reverse. Some people grow winter beards. I grow summer beards. So I started noticing that even the upkeep started to change. So appearance, stop taking pride in your appearance, even just physiologically as well. Just tired, disheveled even. Didn't worry about ironing clothes. Didn't worry about many things that, 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 that I was preoccupied with that were just a, a part of my habits I've noticed were changing. And then of course, we talked about feelings as well. You stop finding enjoyment and gratification in those hobbies, those activities, the work you do. And many of us, and I'm sure you can, you all can agree, even though your jobs, and, and I spent time in the, the public relations world, so I was kind of your dueling sibling, uh, my journalist out there. But at the same time, you all can relate that while, while work is taxing, there's joy in it. And while the old cliche is, I do it for free, well, no, you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. However, there is a love for it that started to diminish to where I didn't find gratification in some of the work that I was doing that was meaningful work. And of course, feelings of sadness, worry. Um, um, and the last piece that, that I was taught were your thoughts. And those are the hardest to, 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 to corral, if you will. Difficulty concentrating, focusing on tasks, whether it be whether it be work, whether it be home, whether it be those of us who, who, who are guardians or parents, even your children, find being able to focus in. I dealt with all of these as well, and I see them. Indecisiveness, indecisiveness is also one of the signs as well. And again, cumulatively looking at these, because in isolation, when you disaggregate them, of course, we, we, I exhibit one or more of these every day, but that doesn't mean that I, I'm at a mental health risk. But when you start to see the cumulative effect and you start to notice again that inventory, when you start to notice that many of these are compounding one another, that's when, like Dr. Adair mentioned, now it's probably time to take the next step. And then I, I'll, I meant to preface it, but, but I'll end it with this. If, if you are trying to navigate this complicated, confusing world, therapy is for you. The, the great misnomer is that there has to be a crisis that triggers it. The, the great misunderstanding and one of the, the, the fueling, the, what fuels stigma is that there has to be some sort of overt crisis or trauma that sends you to seek mental health resources. That's, that's flawed. That's very flawed. And I, I encourage you to, to resist that thought process that something has to happen. Maintenance is important as well. Just like we maintain our vehicles, we maintain our relationships, we maintain things that we value. Why can't you go in and get a tune-up yourself? You go get a heart checkup, you go get your blood tested, you go get annual physicals. Why don't we do that mentally? Mental health is health. We just other it. So while I meant to preface that, I'll, I'll finish off by saying that in the midst of everything that we talked about, maintenance, routine maintenance is paramount. I love that. That's also good and so, so, so many true points. Brittany, um, talked over to you. As a working journalist, you have a ton of stresses, a ton of deadlines, so many things going on. So what are some self-care tips you can give that you do after a stressful day, a stressful week? Um, give them to us, we need them. Of course. And um, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on this panel. I feel so uh, lucky to uh, share this space with such esteemed uh, other esteemed panelists. Um, and I just really appreciate you know, uh, asking me to be on here. 
Um, so yeah, so in my role, I do a lot of different things and it can be a really, uh, my days can look really different and sometimes even like chaotic. Sometimes we are um, shooting like in the field. Uh, sometimes we're interviewing via Zoom, we're coordinating with talent, we're, where I'm editing other days where my focus needs to be different. And, and just in general, like there's stresses of the everyday job and of meeting deadlines and producing content, um, which I love doing because the great part about my job is that I get to produce content that amplifies amplifies uh, unheard voices in Gen Z and uh, directed at Gen Z and millennials. Um, so it's usually people who are change makers in their particular field, trying to um, put more positivity into the world. So I love the content that I get to produce. Um, but work, you know, uh, like Dr. Fletcher mentioned, you know, there's it's taxing in that joy as well, and um, to manage after work most days, uh, um, just to manage stress in general. I love and very much a big advocate for routines. I love an after work routine, like a wind down routine. So have one or two, even three things that you do to help like close out your day. And that helps to signify to yourself and your body um, that you know it's time to like wind down and stop stressing out and stop being on. Um, which as somebody who, you know, transitioned to working from home, I mean, working at the office every day to working from home during the pandemic. And I still work from home permanently. Now we have a flexible, um, uh, I guess we have a flexible uh, work from home, uh, work from Yahoo, situation at Yahoo. Um, it, it was important to me to have like a signifier to close the day because it's really easy to keep working, working, working past the hours that you need to be working and then lose your entire day. Um, so personally for me, I like to get out of the, place that I'm in and go for a walk. And I took something that I used to do even when we were working in the office in Manhattan every day. Um, I used to skip train stations and walk a couple stations and call a family, uh, a friend or family member. So it was really easy to transition that uh, habit, uh, self-care habit, self-care routine into my work from home routine. Um, but now I'll like take a long walk around the neighborhood and go to a park. And sometimes I call somebody and sometimes I listen to a long podcast or I take the opportunity to walk with my friends who live around the area um, and get some exercise in and get some sunlight or I'll go to the park and I'll read. So that's just part of my routine. And you can do anything. You can meditate, maybe have like a beauty care routine, a wind down thing, or some people go to the gym after work. I like to go in the morning. Um, so things like that. And I think important, importantly, like in the middle of the day, pay attention to your energy levels just throughout the day. Um, I noticed that like, I'm a person, I just generally am anxious, um, but I have a lot of anxiety or just generally nervous energy uh, after meetings. And I noticed that just in, in you know, that maintenance and paying attention to yourself. Um, so now what I choose to do is I'll either walk, I'll meditate, I might journal for a half hour um, after like a string, after a big meeting or a string of meetings. Um, and if I need to, I'll like meditate between meetings or refocus, do a quick like five or 10 minutes. And um, uh, really, I use like the Insight Timer app. I'm really lucky we get that through my company um, for free. And um, it, they have really quick, like five or 10 minute meditations. And you can use any of these meditation apps to do that. Um, and I think most importantly, know when to take a break, uh, take a mental health day, take a mental health week, take a, take a break, take sabbatical if you need it. Um, and I feel privileged to be able to say that because I work for a company that, that's really big on uh, mental health and mindfulness and self-care. And I work for a team that's always, um, that um, cares about those things a lot. So I'm privileged to be able to have an open communication with my managers and just all the way up uh, throughout the company um, about mental health. We have those conversations um, and they encourage that. So um, it may be a privileged thing to do to say that, but also like if you're able to take a day off or you know, don't run errands on that one weekend day. If the weekends is all you have off, like try to make some space or some time for yourself to be able. Um, yeah. Oh. yeah, those are really good tips and good ideas. Um, so Siani, am I getting that? We, we missed the, okay, I've been butchering everyone's name. So don't feel bad if I have also butchered yours. Um, so you work as a content creator um, and with other creators. How do you feel influencers have helped people feel more comfortable talking about their mental health and seeking out help? Well, historically, social media has done the exact opposite. And when I was thinking about how we've made this shift, it's because content creation was gatekept 
from you know a lot of the creators that we see today and there was only one lifestyle and one style of content that was being produced and I think that with COVID and everyone shifting into work from home and they realized that you know there's a niche for me there is a community for me and so everyone being more open about their mental health journey and what it actually looks like it's not just me being able to afford therapy for those of us who can't this is what it looks like day to day. And you may not even know that you are suffering, but these are the, the tendencies that I have. And if I share them, then maybe you will be able to see that you do actually need help and your mental health is not at its peak. And so I think that people being more open about their journey and being more transparent about it has been very helpful for so many other people. That's super helpful. Um, Najima, better. Thank you. All right. Um, so if a friend or family member seems to be struggling, feeling sad or not as energetic as normal, um, what can you do to help? Like, what can you do if you see your friend or someone else that they seem like they're not their usual selves? Sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. But I would say first and foremost is to point them to help help them to realize that they need to go see a therapist, need to go see a coach, whatever the case is. And, and definitely, you know, when, when we talk about pointing them to, a, to help, not in a judgmental way, like, oh, you need to go see a therapist. No, um, but in a way that they, they get it and that you remain humble. You know, I always tell people, I, anyone I talk, talk to, I, you know, I tell you, I, I have no problem going to therapy, telling it, I'll tell the world, uh, and I have told the world practically that I go to therapy. I'm always on somebody's couch. Um, and, I, and I think a big part of it, I'm going to piggyback on what uh, my brother, Dr. Sean said earlier, is that, you know, we have to change the way we view mental health in this country. You know, we shouldn't have to wait for a crisis in, the, in order to go seek services. You know, mental health in this country is very reactive. Something happens, then you go. But it should be more proactive. And a part of that is just shifting our mindset and the way we see the brain. You know, the brain is an organ, just like your heart and your kidneys and so on and so forth. So, you know, when I go to get checkups, they're testing those things as well. So that is the same. We should be able to get mental health checkups as well. And so um, as we continue to remove the stigmas, we want to be able to encourage our friends just as easy as we can say, you know, hey, you, you may need to go see a doctor, call your doctor. You should be able to say, hey, call your therapist or here's my number to a therapist. In my circle, we're always sharing therapy recommendations and referrals and so on, like it's water, you know? So I think we have to point them to health, to help. I think we also need to stay engaged. People need community, right? We were not put on this earth to do life alone period, point blank. And I, especially when someone is in a crisis or a, or a mental health crisis, they tend to disengage and we tend to disengage as well. And we go into the, well, they haven't called me, so I'm not going to call them or, you know, they're not coming out. So I'll just let them do their thing. But no, you know, if you care about someone, check up on them call them, see what's going, go see them out. If I haven't heard from you in a while and you're in my circle, I will FaceTime you because I need to see you. I need to make sure that you are okay. If, um, you know, I, I'm on the phone with you or I, I, we're in a text and something just sounds off, I'm going to FaceTime you because I need to see that you're okay. And if I can't get you on FaceTime, everyone in my circle knows what's next is me pulling up. So that's just how passionate we need to be about the people that are in our circles, because as we've seen over and over, suicide is very real. You know, so a lot of people that we see and we think are, are healthy, they are dealing with suicide, suicidal ideation. And so we need to be proactive and, and surround each other with a community and let them know that they are loved and support. Even on your worst day, I love you. And I think that's how we can help each other get the help that we need. Those are all so important. Um, it's so important to check up on people. That's one thing I hope that everyone takes away. It's just like, yeah, check up on, on your happy, friendly, you know, like cheerful friends, check up on them. All right. So Dr. Fletcher, you've worked in many different industries. Um, so what are ways managers and others 
um, can create a healthy work environment for their staff um, in their workplace? And where are some resources that people who maybe aren't in that workplace that will have all those extra things, what can they do? That's a, that's a great question. Um, first off, care. I'll, I'll simplify it. Care. You should care. If you're, if you're a leader of people, if you're someone within an organization who uh, has either influence or the ability uh, to set policies and procedures that directly or indirectly impact the well-being of your people, all right. That's what we used to we used to say. We we had people leaders, and and a lot of HR departments are changing from HR leaders to people leaders. But from the standpoint of, I've worked in organizations that that cared and that didn't, and it showed. And even on the manager level, I worked for managers who cared and didn't, and those who didn't care about it, because at the at the at the end of the day, organizations will lean towards what their charter is. And usually it's revenue or it's wherever you are on that revenue chain. So usually people become secondary priorities, which is out of balance. If you take care of your people, they'll work harder for you. That's, that's what the data shows. However, we know that's, that, that's not the case all the time. However, outside of just generally caring, the best practices that I have seen have typically been when assessment took place first. And uh, shortly before I, I left uh, the, the corporate space for academia, this mental health movement was happening. So I got to see it firsthand, some of the different policies that were shifted, some of the relaxed rules that were, were changed that impacted the, the, the cumulative uh, opportunity for or ability for well-being. And I say that specifically because we use oftentimes mental health and self-care interchangeably. And one becomes kind of a, a talking point. And I come from PR, so talking points, buzzwords, all that stuff. Mental health is a talking point. Well, Mental health is oftentimes addressed in a corporate sort of cold, calculated, codified way that's a blanket for everybody because they have to, to, to operationalize it for sometimes thousands of people, all right? And it, and it leaves gaps for many. And on the manager level specifically, managers that I've had and when I led teams, when you know who you're dealing with, when you know the unique challenges that your team faces, you're starting to understand what's needed of them. For some, like for me, learning my, my sources of stress was critical for my leaders to lead me and prepare environments that's conducive for self-care. They knew I had small children. That was a, a, a stress point for me. I was very concerned about that. And at Apple, when I first had my children, they, we had the golden handcuffs, as they called it. You made a, a really good salary, but they got it out of you. They worked you hard, all right? Two in the morning sometimes just to get it done. They st when this movement came, they started to relax that. They would let me work from home more without making me feel bad, all right? Um, I started to see them establish nursing rooms and things like that. I started seeing the paternity leave was even implemented when I was there. Those were things outside of just buzz, plug and play, trite, blanket, generic mental health resources. They got specific to needs and areas that we needed. And then allowing for us to, to lean into certain benefits that the company provided that may not necessarily have been covered by our insurance, like providing access to on-site therapists and um, relaxation rooms, we called it, which basically just lets you go take a 30-minute nap if you wanted to. You could just go take a 30-minute nap if you wanted to. You just let them know I'm about to go. And it didn't have to be during your lunch hour either, which is critical because now I got to choose between rest and eating. That's, that's, that, that doesn't work either, like many leaders do. So understanding what it is that your teams need 
is critical. If you are always under deadline, under duress, you are burning the candle at both ends. And as a leader, if you're just task driven, you won't take a step back and realize that you're burning out your teams. And then on top of that, now, if you're just so tunnel vision and you don't realize that social unrest is taking place around us and we are dealing with microaggressions, we are dealing with culture taxes. I had a group of white people ask me to basically tell them what they could do after George Floyd was murdered. How can I be an ally? They put me on the spot too, put me on the spot. It's called a culture tax. And, and many of them, many of those happen without malice intent but you still deal with them. If you are oblivious to what's going on around the world that's impacting your team, you won't know how to put specific things in place. And sometimes as, a, as you, you, you ask with the question, you don't directly affect policy that can impact the, the rest of the, the, the employee population. You Sometimes you could just impact saying, hey, listen, take the rest of the afternoon off. Or hey, listen, work from home Friday. Work from home because you spend a lot of time commuting in. Hey, how about you spend that time getting a little bit of extra rest? You may only get 30 minutes extra rest that it saves you, but it matters a lot. All right. So uh, impact what you can impact as a leader, but you can't do that unless you assess what your teams need. And then, of course, you have to take care of, of yourself as well. So there are a number of different layers to it. And then I, and I, I'll throw some, some resources into the chat as well. Sometimes those aren't even available to you. Sometimes you have to, again, understand who you're bringing to the workplace and not lean on the workplace to provide an environment that is going to provide nurturing and self-care for you. Sometimes you have to go and, and seek out resources on your own. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely drop those right into our chat. And, um, you know, we only have till eight. So I want to make sure we get um, through a few, couple more of these questions. Um, it seems like Dr. Adir, she dropped off. Not sure what's going on there, but it's okay. We'll, we'll keep on pushing through. So Brittany, um, you do an amazing job in keeping active through your hobbies. So how did you figure out what hobby um, you wanted to do? And how do you push yourself to remain active in all of your hobbies? Um, thank you. And I do want to piggyback off of what Dr. Fletcher was saying about a company environment. It's really, it's really great when like from top down, I mean, uh, Yahoo, for example, gave us last Friday off to mourn, um, like just after, you know, the whole country was going through such a grieving time with the mass shootings going on, but definitely acknowledge and uh, uh, what we were going through. And we were able to have like safe space conversations led by our ERGs, like whether it's like mental health or the bold ERG for uh, our black employees. Um, and so that, that company culture definitely like trickles down even through like managers being like, you know, take the rest of the day off. So super important. And yeah, um, just take back off of that. But onto my hobbies, which I have a billion of at this point. Um, I am a collector of hobbies. I'm a big believer in adults having hobbies, which is something I didn't even really realize until I had an internship at Atlanta Business Chronicle. And one of the people there, she was like, um, really into beauty pageants and she was like in her 50s and her daughter who was grown was really into beauty pageants and I was like they're in this entire world in this entire community and uh, this additional identity and this additional um, you know just like just all the things that hobby you bring you they challenge you in different ways and they give you a sense um, so I joke that they keep me sane but they really do and these and my hobbies really helped held me down there the pandemic I love to weight train roller skate run I'm reading three books at any time audio, digital, physical. Um, I love playing with different hairstyles and creating different like hair products. I have about 20 indoor plants that I grew from propagations because I got really into indoor plants during the pandemic like everybody else. Um, and just even, you know, passive things like going to stand-up shows and story and comedic storytelling. And I say all that to say that like, it took a lot of time to accumulate so many hobbies. It took a lot of trial and error. And it wasn't one of those really like, um, academic approaches of like check you know you need those five types of hobbies one that makes you money one that keeps you in shape creative whatever like not every hobby you have is going to fit tightly into that box and some things that you know the thing that make like keeps you active could also be the one that um evolves your mindset or builds knowledge in different ways um so uh, 
I, I try, I used to try to make everything I did have a purpose, like, oh, I'm part of this, you know, organization because, you know, it, it provides me this or whatever, or I do this because this, and I forced myself to, it, it wouldn't be, you can't, you, 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 I wouldn't enjoy it as much. And I think that's the biggest thing, like, just do something for you for the sake of doing it. It's not for, not, you don't you know, creating content, not to fit in with other people. It, it's just, it's for the process. It's for the sake of doing it. It's a safe space to fail at something for people who have perfectionist tendencies like myself, like that you fail at something outside of work and <laughs> gives you um, kind of permission to try and fail at other things and be a little bit more courageous in other parts of your life. Um, I also think it's really great uh, to, you know, look, seek communities that you want to be a part of or things that you're interested in. Um, not every hobby has to be super active or time consuming or like tiresome either. Um, you could do something passive. Like I got really into just comedic storytelling and stand-up comedy. And so I go to shows often, which, you know, um, it can, you, know, can, you could just be what, in, what you're into. And um, you can get introduced to a new community, a new world, new people. And um, I just think there's so many self-care and therapeutic benefits to having different hobbies. You don't have to be really good at stuff. You don't have to do it forever. Um, you can, I pick up and rotate my hobbies. Sometimes my plants don't get watered for like four weeks and like I roller skate every day, <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, they're my plants, you know? Like that's the thing, like I get, I can fail. I've also, I've killed and revived the same plant like four times for fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but anyways, um, that's what I do. I just, just make it fun, make it enjoyable, seek, seek community. You don't, don't wait for your friends to come join you. Um, you know, take a you know tip from the solo travel fans out there, like people out there, just go, just try it. You'll find new friends, you'll build a new community, um, even virtually online, all those things, getting into Twitch streaming or playing video games or whatever you're into. Um, find your tribe, it exists. Love that. And I, I started ice skating on my own as Brittany knows. Um, and yeah, and I randomly wanted to start ice skating as a whole adult and yeah, go by myself. And then I found out Brittany brother skates and you're like, it's been the best thing that I ever learned. <laughs> okay. Uh, so see honey, um, for those out there looking for positive content or content creators to follow on social media or hashtags just for uplifting content. What are some of those people we should be following? What are some of those hashtags? Also, please post them in our chat under um, everyone so everyone gets to see them, but share some with us. Sure, so for starters, me. <laughs> um, I love being transparent about my journey, showing how Black women do actually compete in pageantry and are successful and deserve to have the crown and wear titles and all that fun stuff. Um, I particularly love I am Dre Brown. I feel like he really sheds a light on corporate America and how there needs to be a shift in everything that happens. Um, Deshauna Barber, she's a former Miss USA, but her being the amazing woman that she is, she's very open about mental health. She's open about putting yourself first and she's a motivational speaker and I just love taking in all her stuff, but I will link everything in the chat for y'all. Awesome. Okay, um, so this question's for everyone. What is the best advice your therapist has ever given you? And I'm gonna start with this one because I have a notebook with it like ingrained in it and it says feelings aren't facts. So just cause I'm feeling some kind of way and just cause I feel like this person's saying something that does not mean that's the factual situation and it's probably best to talk out and see what's really going on instead of just be like, but I felt like it was this when really that might not have been what it was. Um, Dr. Fletcher, you're right underneath me on the Zoom, so we can we can kind of go around and up. So go for it. Really quickly, I, I was I was told once that that self care isn't selfish care, and it's self explanatory. Take care of yourself. It's hard for you to take care of anybody else if if you have not taken care and invested into yourself. And that's a major stigma that many of us, myself included, try to balance is taking care of ourselves and not feeling bad about it. Dr. Adir? Um, there have been a lot of nuggets I've heard, um, but I actually 
create my own nuggets <laughs> um, that I live by that I just, um, and one of them that seems to resonate a lot with my readers in my books and my messages and social media and so on is when I say, don't borrow worries, um, that seems to resonate with them when they say, because you can't get them back. You can't give them back, you know? So a lot of times we create mountains out of molehills instead of looking at what's positive and what's great going on in our lives and around us. So we make, um, you know, we make something that is big, we make it bigger. Um, and we forget that even though we're damaged, we're not destroyed, even though we're bent, we're not broken. And if, if you look at it from the faith-based aspect of it, God loves you and your brokenness anyway. So why are you borrowing the worry of you're not enough, um, that you'll never be enough and you can't do this, it, just all the negativity. Um, so for me, when I say don't borrow worries, it's just don't, don't put more on your plate than what you can eat. You know, your mom always used to say, only put on there, eat what you can eat. If you want more, you can get more. You don't need all that extra stuff. So don't borrow worries. I like that. Brittany? I think, uh, so for me, this speaks to like a lot of like early career folks. So like, um, like for example, like, you know, if you're in your first like five, like anyways, early career folks generally like struggle with a lot of imposter syndrome. So a good bit of advice, like what um, I, uh, a previous therapist gave me was uh, like focus on yourself because <laughs> um, so when you're like struggling with imposter syndrome and you're like you know kind of have a tendency to like want to want to perform and want to please and you're you're obsessing about what everyone's thinking about you it can kind of like steal that focus steal that energy away from doing the work and doing good work and it can sometimes get in your own way um, and you know there's a lot of pressure to like fit in fit into company culture um, to know you're in the right place and all that but there's so there's like a level of some self-awareness you want to have about, you know, whether um, whether you're performing well and things like that, but not to let it worry you to the point of blocking you. Um, and, you know, it can be super helpful. This is to like join a, an employee resource group or an ERG or find a mentor to help uh, with that as well, uh, provide you some feedback, but really just like focus on yourself and what you're doing and just keep being a good person and do a good job and don't worry so much about whether people like you and they, you know, what they think because can't change it. <laughs> you can't Hashtag control it, really. There you go. Exactly. New Jala? Um, I think uh, it, for me, it would be, it's okay to feel your feelings. And it's okay to give voice to your feelings because for me, you know, I grew up in an environment where I had to, I felt like I always had to be tough, you know, and, and I felt like I, I couldn't um, be vulnerable with other people, but it's okay now to say, hey, this really hurt my feelings and it's okay. You know, normally we say if someone, if a friend or someone in our, our circle hurts us, we're like, well, it's okay. You know, whatever, I don't care. No, I do care. Um, it did hurt. And, you know, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to say to someone, you know, I'm still grieving. I'm still hurt about this issue. I'm feeling sad today. You know, it's okay to give our feelings language. Good one. Siani? Um, so the best piece of advice that I definitely internalized was you cannot heal in the place that hurt you. And so with that, a lot of people will hesitate to put themselves first. They'll hesitate to um, prioritize what it is they need to process their emotions and process their feelings. But if you need to take the time and space to walk away from something, if you need to remove yourself from people's energy or a group of friends that is just not really helping you in any sort of way, it's okay to do that. Um, and so that is something that's been super helpful for me. And also recovery can't be rushed just because it's been two weeks since something happened. Doesn't mean that you are healed and you are moved on from it. It is okay to take your time. You know, a lot of times grief can be something that lasts for more than a year, but as long as you take the time that you need and the space that you need in order to make sure that you're doing all the things you need to do to recover, 
that nobody can tell you how long that process takes. So that's a great one. Um, all right, so we're getting into our last one. We're wrapping up at eight. So this will be the last question of the night. So um, what tips can, and this is for the whole group. So what tips um, can you give for those who are starting the process of looking for, um, you know, a healthcare provider, a mental healthcare provider, either if they want to go the life coach route or the actual therapist route. Um, Dr. Adir, I'll start with you. It's going to sound, sound kind of cold blood, but check with your insurance first <laughs> um, because you money makes a huge difference. And that will take you to me. That's step number one. Check with your insurance if you are insured because you want in-network and then you can kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, break it down after that. But if you don't have insurance, I would always start off with recommendations and referrals from people who have been with someone. There's so many coaches out there right now who have licenses from all over the place. Um, so, and not all of those look the same. And decide if you want looking at what your pain point is and who can provide the solution to your pain point, whether it's through coaching or through therapy. But number one, I always tell people, check with your insurance first if you have it, because that will dictate a whole lot of things. Siani? Um, so I am somebody, I'm kind of in that same boat, somebody who should check with their insurance and needs to do those things. So I make sure I have a circle of people around me who know what it is I'm going through and they send me recommendations because it may not be something that's easily accessible to you, excuse me, to you. So ask your friends for the therapists or the resources that they've used recently. Got it, Nujama? It's Najma, <laughs> um, it's okay. I'm sorry, it's okay. I it's apologize. Okay. It's okay. But I would say, you know, look, look for a service provider that um, is going to be a good fit for you and, and the model that works well for you, whether it's in-person or virtual. I, I'm an in-person person because person I, I cry. So, <laughs> so I need somebody to hold my hand while I cry. Um, I'm also um, big on, for me, um, someone who gets my background, because I don't want to have to explain, give a lot of extra, uh, you know, uh, explanation to my background, particularly being that of a Black woman um, raised in America. I need you to get it. Um, <laughs> so, so I would say definitely look for someone that's, that's a fit for you. Take advantage of many providers have a... Um, initial appointment or a trial or whatever, where, you know, you can, you can try it out. It may be a shorter appointment, but you get an understanding of, of who they are and you can kind of explain what you're looking for. And then that's another thing, know what you're going to therapy for as well, you know, know what you need because that's going to help you in terms of assuring that your therapist relationship is a match. And please remember that it is just that you know, it's, it's a relationship. Um, you know, it's not just a one shot. Let's not look at this, um, as just a one shot thing. Let's look at this as a relation, an ongoing relationship. People, people know me talk about my, I talk about my therapist all the time. Like she's part of the family and I'm like, yeah, girl, going to, going to visit my therapist. So anyway, look at it as a, as a relationship. And so that'll help you in terms of selecting a provider. That's a good fit for you. Brittany. And um, uh, thank you. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of uh, what a couple people said here and that and checking with your provider, but I'll go further to say like sometimes your provider can like um, help you by, you know, if you're overwhelmed with the process or you're going through something traumatic or you just, you're, you, you just need some help, like there are some services through your healthcare provider that they can provide you a list of people um, who like can be, you know, I told, like, for example, like you could tell them like, like you need somebody for a specific, like uh, if you're dealing with, like if you're already diagnosed with something, if you're dealing with something specific or whatever, and they'll go through the filter and provide a list of recommendations. Um, and of course, like, you know, their, their recommendations like with Psychology Today and um, Black, black women, girls in therapy. 
I'm like butchering the name of it, you know, like there are resources or lists like that that may be helpful, um, especially if you want to um, find somebody who is similar to you. Um, but, over, but, you know, first and foremost, try not to overthink the process or be overwhelmed with the process. Look for those recommendations. Uh, don't quit too early. It's a little in like dating and uh, in that like one, you don't want to quit too early, but also like if you're not, if you don't ever, you wait to be ready. If you like are somebody who knows you need therapy, like you knows you should go like somebody's, you know, and you wait till you're ready. You might like never feel ready to go. You might never, you know, and you have that hesitation. Try to take out as many of those or identify if you can and take out as many of those blocks uh, as you can so you can like get to therapy. Um, and in that, you know, like when you're when you're there, don't be afraid to critique your therapist. I have definitely, you know, and and like in managing that relationship in any relationship management, there's going to be conflict and misunderstanding sometimes. And if you have you feel comfortable and you want to feel safe and comfortable enough to share that with them and to you know give feedback on the advice that they're giving you and be mindful of that and how it's impacting your life. Um, and uh, and you know if you're able to you know um, critique your therapist, I think it's it's a good safe space. Um, well, it's a, it's um, probably an indication that you're in a good place and a safe space if you can like move forward from that and it can better your experience in therapy. I completely agree with all those things. Yeah, do the, and do the research, like just, yeah, do the research, know the difference between like DBT and CBT because sometimes you'll walk in and they'll, you'll be like, what is this? Why are you asking me to like tell you about like my dreams? Like that's not what I'm here for. I wanna talk about my current stuff. But some people want to talk about that stuff. So when you, after your like healthcare provider helps you find that therapist, then do that research on your own and, and do the homework. If you do do some CBT and the therapist is like, yeah, make sure you do that thing, do it. There are helpful reasons for it. Dr. Fletcher, last but not least, before we wrap up for the evening. I echo everything that, that has been said and, and certainly the, the do your research part. Um, because again, therapist is used generally know the difference between a psychiatrist is not the same as a psychologist. Psychologist is not the same as a group counselor. Counselor is not the same. There are a number of them. And don't get caught up in filters, because if you go do your filter for providers from, for, uh, with, whether you have Kaiser or United or whomever, they will aggregate oftentimes all of them. And you could easily become discouraged or misled, as Benita mentioned, a number of, of my peers mentioned where you will end up going down a road that is not a good fit for you're not even in the ballpark and even in terms of what they are clinically allowed to do some some counselors don't have degrees in it all right uh, there's a difference between those who can prescribe medication versus not so no no do your research but again my my, my old football coach used to always tell me don't get caught up in paralysis by analysis don't sit because you're sitting there thinking too much. Start to put one foot in front of the other. And as, as, <laughs> as my, my grandmother would say, be choosy. You could be choosy. You go and find who works for you. And if somebody, if you go to one person and they don't work out, know what you don't want. Even if you don't know what you want, know what you don't want and someone mentioned in the chat that they had a, a not so great experience with a christian therapist if you're not looking for faith-based uh, uh, um, solutions know that because a christian therapist is going to go there and if you're not if that is not what you want know that before you start that process and if you are looking for one if you go to a secular one they may prescribe a, a solution forward that doesn't align with your values. And if that they don't, you'll find yourself starting from square one. So there is a little bit of measurement that has to take place before you cut, so to speak. So I echo everything that, that has been said, but uh, I, can't, I can't stress enough, start the journey and then be willing to, to edit. Uh, we all familiar with that edit as you go along. Don't wait until it's all perfect because it, it'll never be. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you all for joining us for this panel. I apologize for everybody whose names that I completely butchered. My apologies. I feel like it was, it was everybody. So I, my apologies for that. I hope everyone enjoyed the panel. Um, 
thank you all. I know we went past a little past eight and we normally are strict on our time, but we appreciate it. Have a great evening, everybody. Um, yeah, and we'll see you all next time. A special thanks to our panelists. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and give the sidebar a great review. A reminder that the opinions discussed on the podcast belong solely to the individual and do not reflect the views of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information on NYABJ, please visit our website at www.nyabj.org. Music is by Felizna Raps.